We are glad that you joined us today. Harrison Church is constantly being blessed with its members and volunteers who are devoted to experiencing and sharing the amazing Word of God. If you wish to contribute to his ministry, please visit us online at harrisonchurch.org forward slash donate. Thank you again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Thank you, Charles, and good morning, everyone. What an honor it is to be here with you and to be together, especially if you're visiting with us today. Thank you for coming. And, uh, you know, before I dig into the text, I always like to kind of give everybody a preface where we are and what we've been doing in case some of us don't know. Uh, But over the last few weeks, I've been uh, doing two things. I've been answering some of the questions from this congregation submitted to me back in October November. We've done some of those, but in the meantime, and and next week actually I'll do the last question by the Harrison congregation, the second most asked question about the underworld. But anyway, um, but in the meantime, we've been also talking about some of the common sayings that Christians say to each other, things like, the Lord only helps those who help themselves, or God never gives us more than we can handle the things that we think are in the Bible but are not. Uh, And so what I thought we would do today is we're going to actually take a saying that is in the Bible, but it's often taken way out of context. So let's uh, learn a little bit here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from 2 Thessalonians, very obscure letter, 2 Thessalonians. Nobody's ever said, that's my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, And I'll be reading from the third chapter, and I'll be starting with uh, verse 6. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of this lesson. This is St. Paul talking to a group of Christians, a little church in the city of Thessalonica in Greece. Here's what Paul says. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they receive from us, and from us meaning the apostles, those who founded the church. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we didn't eat anybody's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right. We could do this. But in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Here's the saying. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Now, some of us have heard it said, you know, anyone who does not work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. I love that word, busybodies. Now, such persons, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. And this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, let me kind of do a quick poll here. How many of you have ever heard that saying, whoever doesn't work shouldn't eat? Anybody? Oh, it's a few. How many of you have ever heard that like uh, on the debate uh, on C-SPAN, right? How many of you ever heard this uh, saying in the context where if you're in a Bible study with someone and the topic of the poor, the homeless comes up? Anybody ever heard this? I've heard this so many times. Okay, so we're not, we're, we're kind of all understanding where this is coming from. So we're going to do what we can. What I hope to show is that we do take this saying way out of context from this particular letter to a particular people living at a particular time. And what I hope to also show is that we shouldn't use that verse anymore. Now, we can have opinions on public policy and stuff, but let's not appeal to that. Okay, so we're going to get to that. But first, I thought what we would do, 
because it really won't take me that long to put it in context, is that we would actually bring up, think about what Paul brings up in this lesson to begin with. And I thought we would uh, spend a few moments to think about the topic of work itself. Doesn't that sound exciting? Let's think about work and our jobs and our careers, kind of what we do through the week. I realize some of you may be retired, uh, but even retired folks I know say, man, I'm busier now than I was when I was working. There's always things to do. But I thought we need to spend some time thinking about actually our work. It's important. We spend so much of our lives doing it. I mean, most of our hours are spent doing our jobs, are they not? And yet we never really make a connection with what we do through the week with God. And what does it mean to be a Christian who works? You know, we are just masters of compartmentalization. I used to be a master of compartmentalization. We just compartmentalize everything. Like right now, you are wearing your Sunday hat. This is your worship hat. It's the hat to think about God until when? About after lunch. And then we got to put our sports hat on or whatever. I can remember when my children were born. I went through this period where I was like, well, you know, I, I don't have my prayer time. I don't have my prayer time. I want my prayer time back. And then somebody said, you numbskull, why don't take, taking care of your kids is now your prayer. Right? But we just compartmentalize everything. And so what happens is on Monday morning, we don't think about God. We put our work hat on. Our job had, this is what we've got to be, or our parent had, or all these other things. But it's supposed to be kind of a whole. Our work is all supposed to be related. The things of God matter. Um, so we don't, we're, we're really masters at this uh, entirely. Let me see what I'm saying here. Ah, yes. You think about Jesus, right? Jesus was a worker for most of his life, right? He was a carpenter. He was a builder. He was a contractor. But he was still the son of God while he was working. I bet he could do a killer kitchen reno. Uh, You know what I mean? I bet he was so good. I know exactly what you need here. You know, but he didn't like compartmentalize his work from his identity as God's child, right? God mattered to him. St. Paul says in the New Testament, do everything. He says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would include our work, would it not? Doing everything. So let's kind of think about our work. One thing that I had never really considered until recently is that the God you find in the Holy Scriptures, God's a worker. God works. God created the heavens and the earth. God is at work among us right now, trying to restore the world, the world that we have vandalized with sin and with death. I mean, God is at work. I was always under the impression uh, many years ago, until, I don't know, like 10 years or so, I always was under the assumption that work was the result of the curse of Adam and Eve and their sin. You know, that before Adam and Eve sinned, all they could do, you know, in that Garden of Eden, they just binged on Netflix all day, every day. It was wonderful. But then they sinned, and God said, nope, now you got to work. But that's actually not the context. If you go back, uh, God creates Adam and Eve and says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to work the garden. I want you to tend it. I want you to take care of these things. So work. God has actually created us to do some work. It's a part of being created by this God. God's a worker. We're created in God's image. Therefore, we are called to be workers. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, it's usually the times in our life when we don't have enough to do or too much time on our hands, not enough work, that's when we get into trouble. You ever notice this? There's several stories in Scripture. Here's one. You think about King David and that tawdry encounter he had with Bathsheba. All the men were off to war. He commissioned them to go off to war. But he stayed behind. And he's at his palace, bored, kind of reclining on his couch. And he looks down and sees Bathsheba. Ooh. 
And then what does he do? He abuses his power as a king and he seduces her. So see, he's, he's bored. Boredom took over. And as a result of his boredom, his flesh took over. And if you think about our lives, it's almost always the time we get ourselves into trouble when we don't have enough to do. That's when we sin the most. Right? We're not active enough, right? So God has created us to be active in all of these, these things. He created you to work. He created us to be active. And that is why, since I'm on the topic, that is why Christians should have something to say about things like unemployment. It's actually a biblical issue. We can think godly about even things like unemployment because unemployment is more from a Christian biblical context. It's not just a money issue. It's not an economic issue. It's a dignity issue. It's a dignity issue. People you know who have been unemployed, especially chronically unemployed, they don't lose just money, although they do. They lose a sense of self-worth. And the reason for that is because God has actually created us to contribute Right to show something, to, to give back, as Kyle was saying in his prayer. We, we can give back through our work, and when that's denied us, then we will actually lose a sense of self-worth. Pope Francis, a couple years ago, uh, he said, instead of quoting from Paul, anyone who doesn't work shouldn't eat, he says, you know, it might be a good idea for Christians to say to themselves this, that whoever doesn't work loses his dignity. And that way we can get fired up about things like unemployment. It's a strike on our humanity. Because we were created to be active. We were created to contribute. And it's an issue when we do not have that opportunity. And then Pope Francis actually went into this speech about unemployment. But of a particular kind. I mean, there's some unemployment where somebody just does a terrible job. They just need to go. But that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about the particular kind of unemployment where profits matter more than people. And when profits matter more than people, what happens is your workers are the problem. you got to find a way to diminish this so you can have more and more profits. Believe it or not, the Bible has a lot to say about that. It really does. The Bible also has something to say, not just about unemployment for those who are trying to, where workers are a problem. But the Bible also has things to say about employment that's poorly compensated. We could go through Amos. I could show you passages in Jeremiah. I could show you passages in Deuteronomy. I could show you verses in the Proverbs where it talks about people need to be paid fairly. And we think, well, this is a political issue. No, 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 no. It's just right there in the context of the Scriptures. Why? Think about the Jewish experience as slaves in Egypt. That's the litmus test. Right? What was going on as slave, while they were slaves in Egypt? Right? They, were, they, were, they were seeing the transfer of capital made possible by cheap labor to those on top of the social pyramid. God delivered them. So this is really a biblical matter in all respects. I actually agree with a lot of pastors, I certainly didn't say this, who have said this, that anyone who works full-time in the United States should not have to live in poverty. Can we all agree that anybody who works full-time in the United States should not have to live in poverty? It's a biblical issue, okay? It is. All right, but nevertheless, let's go on to what I really want to kind of say before we put this verse in context about how we should understand our work as Christian people. And here really is the, the simple answer for us to think about. Your work, whatever you're doing through the week, This is your ministry. 
Your work is your ministry. When it comes to our work, we get very secular. And the first thing we want to ask is, uh, how much am I going to get paid? Or what job is going to get me the highest amount of money? That, that's, that's, that's important. We don't want a job that pays us nothing. But Christians should not start there. The first question that we need to ask ourselves about our work is this. Will this job, will this career allow me, and this sounds all churchy, but will this job allow me to you know, advance the kingdom of God? Can I like, love my neighbor through this work? Can I promote the things of Jesus Christ in what I'm doing? And here's what the point is. You and I, we get so caught up in the what. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to be a doctor. We're going to be a lawyer. We're going to be this. We're going to be that. We're going to be this. That's actually not an issue, scripturally speaking. It's not the what that we do that matters. It's the how we do it. How are you doing your job while you are at your job? That's what matters. So you can be a garbage collector and be a great saint of the Lord. You can. You can be a ditch digger. And you can do it in the name of Jesus Christ. So for Christians, it's not the what that matters. Everybody always thinks, well, you get, if you're going to do the Lord's work, you've got to be a pastor. Oh, no. It's not the what that you do. It's the how you do it. And how God wants us to do the things that we do through the week is by being, however we can, a witness to Jesus Christ in our faith. We've got to be a witness to Jesus. That means two things at least. Number one, whatever you're doing, you should do it well. You should strive to do what you are doing with excellence. I do not think that it glorifies God when we slack. It's not doing, I mean, gosh, it's got to be done excellently. That's number one. But number two, do it as an evangelist. Oh, he said that word. Oh, but do it as an evangelist. You know, your staff here, we are a, uh, honored to be able to work at this church. It is my honor that I get to do this every week with you and to work with you. But you know, the staff and I, we've had conversations about this, is that part of my responsibility though is I get to work with you, the people who love the Lord. What a privilege this is. But I bet you most of you through the week at your job, you're not dealing with everybody who loves the Lord. You've got some people around you that don't love the Lord. Or unchurched or, or de-churched. People who were in the church but fell away. People who have all kinds of stereotypes about what Christianity means, about what the church means. You, you, you are surrounded by people like that. And we're not like you are. You've got a huge opportunity. There's someone I know, uh, while he is on the job and he's doing work for someone, either before he finishes or right after he finishes, he does this every time. He says, to the person, his customer, he says, is there anything that I can pray for you for? Is there anything I can pray about? Thing going on in your life? And people are just blown away by this. Now, there are occasions when he will ask someone that question. and go, don't you ever ask me that question again. Right? We're always going to be rejected. But, man, you know, this person's not beating someone over the head, you know, with the Bible. This person's just saying, hey, can I pray for you? What? What he's trying to do is say, hey, you know, I'm going to care for you. I do care for you because I'm a Christian. And this is what I'm called to do. And that matters. That's a great example of work as ministry. That's really what you're called to do. Is to think of it as your ministry. Is your job allowing you to love your neighbor? 
Are you helping people? Or are you hurting them? That's another thing. I will never forget the conversation I had with someone years ago in a moment of brutal honesty. He said this. He said, I make killer money. But it's my job to ruin people's lives. Christians can't do that. It's an issue. The reason this matters is because you spend most of your life, not in here, but working. And that work is going to form your character. You are going to become what you're doing. If you're someone, if you're at a job and it is your job to look at people as being kind of expendable, you know what's going to happen to your worldview over a period of time? You're going to look at people as if they're expendable. So what kind of work are you doing? You rip people off? You, you know, so you've got to really take that seriously because the work we want to do, even though the what doesn't matter, what does matter is how we do it. And if we can't do our work, and if it can't line up with who Jesus is, if we can't love our neighbor, if we're instead hurting our neighbor, oh, it's do some soul searching, right? Your work is your ministry. It is, number one. Number one. Okay. Let's uh, put this verse in context and uh, kind of think through what's going on here. All right, so Paul, in our passage this morning, he is writing to a church in this Greek city, and in it he says, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Now, again, I've heard people debate this on uh, the house floor somewhere in context, and it's always kind of set in this tone of, you know, about public policy or social services and all these things. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. (laughs) What Paul is actually talking about, if you go back and read the whole book, is that there are some Christians within this congregation who just aren't pulling their weight. And they're letting other people do all the work for them, just passing it off to them. And that's why Paul says all they're doing is just busybodying. They're gossiping. Right? They're getting into other people's affairs instead of minding their own business. Why? Because they got nothing else to do. Now, there seems to be something that has provoked this way of thinking. Now, if you go back in 2 Thessalonians uh, in chapter 2, I think I lost my place here. Well, I just, I'll just tell you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul begins that, that passage by saying, Hey, don't think that Jesus is going to return as fast as you think he is. And he says, there's some things that have got to happen. There's going to be a falling away. All these things are going to set up. Then the end is going to come. That's chapter 2. But then in chapter 3, he says, now get to work. You know what's going on here? What's going on in this church and why Paul is writing what he is writing is because there are some people in this church who think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And as a result, they're saying, well, who cares what we do? Let's just stop, hang out, watch some Netflix. He's coming back tomorrow, so we can just stop with all of our work. That's what's going on. It's not public policy. This is not a lecture of public policy. It's about Christians who aren't pulling their weight and doing their ministry and minding their own business, trying to provide for themselves. They think the end of the world's coming tomorrow. This has actually happened in the past. Some of you, if you were in school, you had to learn about this man named William Miller. William Miller was a Christian, and he was a scholar, and he predicted back in 1840 that the end of the world, based on my calculations, is going to happen in the year 1843 in October. And as a result, there are some people who believe this. They're called the Millerites to this day. You know what they did? 
Oh, they sold their possessions, quit their jobs, huddled up together, and they waited. Jesus didn't return. (laughs) And to this day, they call it the great disappointment. And what's interesting is that they did exactly what Paul said not to do. You know, just because the, uh, Christ may return does not mean you're off the hook. We're called to be in ministry together, and we're going to keep doing that ministry until the end comes. So it's not the end until it's the end. That's the context. So you need to know the context. You can have, we can have opinions on these matters, these social matters. Let's not use that verse. He's talking about Christians who aren't doing their fair share, okay? Now, what's interesting is that there are people who will, uh, when I've shared this with them, uh, the context, they'll say to me then, well, what am I supposed to do with, uh, like, someone who's a beggar? You ever thought that to yourself? What do I do? On Wednesday, I lead a class, and this question actually came up. Like, what, 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 what's our approach so, supposed to be to someone who, who is a beggar? I mean, what are we supposed to do? And, and I told them this, and I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> this is not the Lord's command. This is just my advice. I believe that as Christian people, when we come across someone who is in need like that, we should always be inclined, inclined to say yes, to help in some way. One of the reasons I do this is because if you think about what Paul says, if anyone doesn't work, they shouldn't eat. If you were to apply that to Jesus Christ and his ministry, (laughs) Jesus would have been unemployed. He didn't have a W-2 while he was going around Galilee and Jerusalem. We would have said to Jesus, oh, you got to go hungry. So we have to be careful there. And I'm also thinking the advice of another great preacher years ago who said, man, if we're always worried about giving money or giving aid to someone who's not worthy, we will become very cynical and we won't help people who are worthy when they come. We'll always just be on this position of, uh-uh. But Moses, you remember a couple of weeks ago when Moses said, if someone in need comes to you, Moses did not say, be suspicious. <laughs> He says, no, no, open your hand and and give. So what I try to do, I am inclined to help someone, especially if it's someone I have not met before. I'm inclined to say yes, but if it becomes repetitive, right, a pattern there, then we have to think differently. But that doesn't mean we dismiss them outright. There are things that we can still do to help them, but we don't want to enable either. All right, so there's a give and take. We're inclined to say yes, and that's what grace really is is. I mean, we're the grace people. I, I kind of wish we, were, we had communion today because if we had communion today, what I'd be able to tell you is say, you know, we come to this table and you became a Christian not because of your work. Right? You're part of the family of God because of your work. And we come to this table. We eat. Every time we eat, we eat because of work we haven't done. And yet the Lord feeds us. Right? He feeds us. So that's, that's kind of be how we think about things. We're the grace people. We always want to err on the side of mercy. Last thing I'll say, and the musicians can come forward as we close our service. I love this. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said many centuries ago, someone came to him, and they said to Martin Luther, like, what would you do if you knew tomorrow the world would end? You know what he said? He said, I'd plant a tree. And his point was that the work of ministry doesn't end. We're always engaged in the work of God. So whether you're working right now at a job, 40 hours, 50 hours a week, man, that's your ministry. That's what God has called you to do. Man, reach out to others there. Care for them.
But even if we help those who aren't able to work, we are the grace people who want to do everything in the name of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Harrison Church. To stay connected to Harrison Happenings, please follow us on Facebook or Twitter at HarrisonUMC or online at HarrisonChurch.org.